Please be seated in God's house today, and you can be taking your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Hopefully by this point, you have this point in your Bible bookmarked, Acts chapter 8. And once you're in that chapter of God's Word, you can find your way to verse 26, where we read, and it says, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had, charged all, who, was, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. And heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he was reading from was, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing, but Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Do you believe this is the word of God? If you do, say amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are here. We are your church because of all the things that you have done. Father, let us decrease let our opinions and personalities decrease that, that you might shine through us in an unhindered way. Father, use us and change us today, we pray. In Jesus' name and all the church says. Perhaps you, like myself, enjoy things that are made of fine leather. There's just something about a pair of shoes or a pair of boots or perhaps even a saddle that goes on the back of a horse. There's just something about the way it feels and the way that it has that 
nice patina on it after it's been used for a while and the smell of nice leather. It just, it looks and smells like a good story. And, uh, and, and hopefully you enjoy those kinds of things. In the 1920s, however, there was something called, made that was called faux leather, spelled F-A-U-X, pronounced faux, faux leather. And faux leather is made up of plastic materials, synthetic materials, such that it looks and feels and even in some cases smells like real leather. We would probably have known of this material to be called pleather. It's a common name in today's world for this faux leather. Now this faux leather is, as you might imagine, not real leather. And when they first made it in the 1920s, it was very easy to distinguish between faux leather and genuine leather. But as they made it and became more refined in the process of making it, uh, in today's world, you can hold up a pair of shoes that's made of this faux leather and a pair of shoes that's made of real genuine leather. And to the untrained eye, they can look and feel and even smell very, very similar. But if you know real leather well, if you hold it in your hands and you study it closely, it becomes clear what is real leather and what is faux leather. Uh, we've been talking about real and false converts. Uh, last week, you'll remember that we preached a very clear objective, which was to understand the way in which the devil uses his most favorite tool of false religion. We saw the example of Simon the sorcerer out of the word of God, and we saw and we came to the understanding that this was a false convert. He was a faux leather convert, you might say. Uh, and this week, our objective is very simple as well. It's to take a look at genuine believing, genuine Christianity, genuine conversion, and to take it in our hands and look at its details so that we can know the difference between a true conversion and a non-true conversion between real leather and faux leather, you might say. Now you might say, Pastor Ben, why do we need to know this? What is the importance for us today to be able to distinguish between a true, genuine conversion as opposed to faux leather Christianity? What is the importance for us? Now, I could preach for another eight weeks on the importance alone, uh, but you take, for example, the number of parents and grandparents that are in the room today. Uh, if you are finding someone to teach or to disciple your children, someone that may perhaps even babysit your children that you want to be a believer it becomes very important that you're able to distinguish between true conversion and non-true conversion. Uh, you, take, you think of the single people, and there's a number of single people here in the church. Uh, you know, obviously, hopefully you know the scriptural commandment that we are not to date nor marry a non-believer. Uh, if that is the command for us, it becomes vitally important to then understand the difference between a non-believer and a believer to be able to know the difference between the two because much like real leather and faux leather, they can look somewhat similar. So we must understand it. We must see it clearly. Uh, and perhaps the most sobering reason of all as to why we would need to take this true conversion and see it for what it is and to understand the scriptural elements of what God's Word says about this true genuine conversion the most sobering reason of all is for the reason of which we would look in the mirror and know whether or not we have come to true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ or whether it is a simple head knowledge or not. Uh, so with these understandings, let's look back again to verse 26, Acts chapter 8, as we see in detail what God's Word has for us today. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. 
And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, he was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So what do we have here? We have an angel of the Lord coming to Philip and saying, go down this particular road. You have this Ethiopian proselyte, which that word proselyte basically means that he was converted from the religion of his region to that of Judaism. He's an Ethiopian. He's not of Jewish descent, but he is going to where the Jewish people are to worship their God. This Ethiopian eunuch has traveled there to worship and he's now returning back to his homeland of Ethiopia. And in the process of returning there, he's reading, sitting in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. You have the angel that tell, tells Philip to go down this road that just so happens that this Ethiopian is going to be on. And then the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go and overtake this chariot. Uh, it's very interesting to know that from the time of the birth of the church until now, God has only moved on the masses. But in this particular circumstance, we see God going after a single individual, this Ethiopian eunuch that God has planned. I hope you see the thing clear here is that God is setting some things up. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 verse 12 that the angels have an inquisitive nature when they're looking into our salvation and things of our faith. They are in a sinless environment. They don't understand what it means to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Angels don't understand that. They look into our, our situation with an inquisitive nature. And I just have to imagine that as God is setting all of these things up for this Ethiopian eunuch, that the angels are watching and one of them elbows another and says, look at this guy, I'll bet you he's about ready to get saved here. God was setting all these things up. The angel telling Philip where to go. This Ethiopian, oh, Ethiopian man that goes to Jerusalem to worship. He's going back to his homeland. He's reading the word of God. Apparently something of the Judaism worship that he experienced in Jerusalem left him wanting. And he's in his chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit says to Philip, go and overtake this chariot. What are we seeing here? We're seeing what is our first point this morning when we look at the traits of genuine conversion, is number one, God drawing a person unto himself. This is a trait of genuine conversion, of real conversion that we see in the Word of God, this element of God drawing a person unto himself. We're seeing nothing other than John 6, verse 44. In fact, if you don't mind writing in your Bibles, this would be a good verse to put in your margin next to the verses that we just read from the book of Acts, John 6, verse 44, which says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, Jesus says, and I will raise him up in the last day. What we're seeing here in the book of Acts is a piece of John 6:44 absolutely happening of the Father drawing someone unto himself. If you're seeking to find someone, let's say it's perhaps even in someone in this church that you're going to hire to babysit your children and you want to ascertain whether or not they are a legitimate believer. If you're interviewing them, if you're getting to know them and talking to them, and this would apply for you grandparents as well, you're talking to them and you ask them about their salvation and they say, well, I came to Jesus so that I could be healthy, wealthy, and happy. I would think that just maybe their greed drew them and not that of the Father. If you're dating someone or if you're considering dating someone, for you single folks in the room today, if you're considering dating someone, 
And you ask them about their relationship with Jesus, and they just simply say things of the nature of like, I just, I didn't want to go to hell, so I went to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, not going to hell is a good reason to go to Jesus, but it's not the only reason, and it's not the predominant one. They're using Jesus as fire insurance. Perhaps it's their own fear that's keeping them in this place of being drawn in those ways and not a true call, not a true drawing of God the Father on their life. You look in the mirror and you ask yourself the question, in your testimony, does it include an element where you know without a doubt that God was calling you, that the Father was drawing you? Did you come to the Son based on the Father drawing you in this kind of way? Uh, Consider for a moment this Ethiopian eunuch. He apparently was left dry from this experience in worship that he had in Jerusalem. He's returning back and he's reading the prophet Isaiah, seeking to know more things about Jesus, seeking to be truly fulfilled, and he believes on it. We will come to understand that he obviously believed on the things that he was told about this Jesus. And consider also for a moment the prodigal son. Consider for a moment the way in which the prodigal son returned to the father. The prodigal son had wasted his livelihood with presumptuous living. He wasted it. It left him dry. He came to this understanding, why am I here? I ought to just, my, my father's servants are living better than this. Why don't I just go and I'll throw myself upon the mercy. I'll tell the father that I've sinned against him and against heaven. And I'll throw myself upon his mercy and be the recipient of whatever grace that he will give me. Dear friends, that is the picture of a true conversion. That is the picture of God drawing a person. I hope that your testimony includes the same kind of thing. Now, we were talking about just a bit earlier in the foyer. We were talking about people who were saved at a very young age. And perhaps you didn't have a long life of being a heroin addict and then God radical. Perhaps you grew up in a wonderful God-fearing home. I certainly hope that that was the case. But I hope you can see and I hope you can see clearly in your testimony that you understand that even at a young age that God was indeed drawing you. We're talking today about real and false converts. We're talking today about looking at real conversion and understanding it. And much in the same way when you hold real genuine leather in your hands and you look at the traits, we're looking at the traits of this genuine conversion. If you're still with me, say amen. Now a quick mention here. God may use you, dear child of God, to be the means through which God draws someone. God used Philip as a conduit. God used Philip as a vessel. God has called us believers. Listen to me now. God has called us to be the vehicle through which the news of him permeates throughout the world. You think of the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that I've commanded. You think of that Great Commission, he, in play, he intends to achieve that Great Commission through you, dear friend, through you, child of God. Now, you might think to yourself, why in the world does God give us the Great Commission when he has to be the one to draw us? Well, I hope you understand that the means through which he plans to draw many people is through you. Look to your neighbor and point them and poke them in the the ribs and say, that's you. Now, I'm going to say something that may offend some of you, but I heard a great preacher this week say this, and I believe it with all my heart. And my goal is not to make anyone mad or upset anyone, but I believe that it's absolutely true that if your life as a believer 
is not proactively pointed towards bringing people into the kingdom, not proactively pointed towards making people disciples, if that is not your life, then your walk with God is not right. And if that offends you, you can come up and apologize to me later and I'll forgive you. But <laughs> Notice also, dear friends, there were two roads. If you know your geography of ancient Israel in this time, you'll know this. There were two roads that led from Jerusalem to the Gaza direction. One of them was a very commonly traveled easy road. And the other was this road by the desert. I hope you caught that little bitty sentence in there. It says, this is desert. It gives us an indication of which of those two roads. It was the harder one. It was the more arduous, arduous road that the, that the angel was telling Philip to go down. The one that God was calling Philip to go down. It was the more difficult road. And undoubtedly, you could keep on beat bopping your way along as a Christian. We could continue to do that and things would indeed be easier. But dear friend, if you take the road that God has called you to go down of being a witness for him, it may not be the easiest road. In fact, for Philip, it was most definitely the more difficult road. It was the one that went through the desert. But, oh, dear friends, there is joy on that road when you are fulfilling what God has called you to do, when you are fulfilling the Great Commission, when you're bringing people from this false belief, false way of being that does not satisfy into the all-fulfilling, perfectly satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're still with me, say yes. Now let's look closer again. Let's look at verse 30 onward as we continue to hold this Real conversion, this genuine leather conversion as we see its traits so that we know what it's like. Verse 30, it says, so Philip ran to him, probably says something about the obedience of Philip, and heard him reading prophet the Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in Scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now this section of text that we're reading right here in Acts chapter 8, you could put next to it Isaiah 53. That was the chapter that the Ethiopian eunuch all those years ago was reading from. Verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this, at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now, who is this Ethiopian character? Uh, we know from the word of God that he was a treasurer. He was the treasurer of the Candace of Ethiopia. And Candace is not a name, as many people assume it to be. It's actually the name of a position. It's a title. Uh, he was the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. And now this was a very, very high role. And the reason being is because in Ethiopia, the men of authority were seen almost as deity. So much so that they thought, the leading men in this culture, thought that actually taking care of public affairs and actually leading people and being a leader was below them. So they just resided in their kingly state and didn't do much of anything while the queens actually did all the work. Now guys, just listen. I tried to implement this in my own home. It didn't go well. Don't try this. I'm warning you now. Don't try this, guys, at home. Right about the time that I gave this idea to Abby, she looks at me and says, this is where you stop talking. <laughs> so, 
Now, we understand that this Ethiopian fella, he is a eunuch. If you don't understand what a eunuch is, follow me home back to the farm. We've got some gelding horses out there, and I'll explain it to you. Uh, We know that he was a powerful and a rich man. We know that he was powerful because the Word of God says that he he had great authority. And we can also make the understanding, a very clear understanding, that he was likely incredibly rich. Uh, just from his occupation alone in today's terms would have probably equated somewhere in the realm of three hundred to $500,000 a year salary that this treasurer would have been making in today's numbers, in today's terms. But the other thing that gives us an indication that he was likely a very, very rich man was that he had his own scroll, at the least the prophet Isaiah. He likely had a scroll of the entire Old Testament to that point, but we know for certain at a minimum that he had a scroll of the scroll of Isaiah. Now, this was not a common thing. Now, remember, this is talking about a day and age when printing presses did not exist. Every single copy of the Old Testament that existed, every single copy of anything that existed, would have been copied down by hand. So you think to yourself, how long would it take a person to copy by hand the entire Old Testament? What would be a reasonable hourly wage? Scribes, which is the name of the profession of people that did this as a living, could you imagine having that kind of job as a person in those days? They made a pretty good wage. They were seen as like the white-collar, upper-income kind of class. They would have made a great hourly wage from this, a copy of the Old Testament. Or even a copy of the prophet Isaiah alone would have been incredibly expensive. The Ethiopian eunuch has got some bank. He bought one. He's got one. He owns one. And he's reading it, sitting in his chariot. And this Ethiopian man was intrigued with the person of Christ. He had gone to Jerusalem. He had worshipped the way in which they were worshipping this God. And it left him wanting. He's sitting. He's on his way traveling back. And he's sitting in the chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. His heart is still hungry for something. And we know, obviously, of a true and legitimate conversion that this is. Point number two today, when we look at the traits of genuine conversion, is that there is a desire to understand Christ from the perspective of Scripture. This Ethiopian eunuch has a desire to understand more. He wants to know, is is Isaiah saying this about himself? Or is he saying it about some other man? Who are we looking for that's going to be this lamb slaughtered in our place? This sacrificial lamb of God? Who is it? Is it Isaiah that we should be worshiping? Or is it some other man? And then Philip opens his mouth and he starts at this scripture and preaches Jesus to him. There was a true and genuine desire to understand Christ from the perspective of of Scripture, Second Timothy three verses sixteen through seventeen, a verse we all know well. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you drive through a particular place and you see a church with a rainbow flag outside of it. You can know without a doubt that there are false converts. There are faux leather Christians inside of that church. Why? Because they're worshiping the Jesus in their mind that they have created that has made an abomination acceptable. They're not worshiping the Christ as revealed in Scripture. Now, I'm not picking on any particular group that struggles with sexual perversion. This happens among any group that creates a picture of Jesus in their mind that's not the biblical Jesus, not the true, authentic, as we know it from the inspired Word of God, Scriptures. That's the Jesus that's real. That's the only Jesus that exists. 
And we are a people prone to making a Jesus that exists in our minds. And perhaps even more so than the LGBTQ plus movement that you see some even churches flying flags outside of their churches with. Uh, perhaps the most common false Jesus that's created in the mind is the Jesus that accepts fornication and drunkenness. Those are perhaps much more common in our world than some of these other things. Be weary of this, dear friends. Uh, know that the Jesus expressed in Scripture, that is the one and only true Jesus that we must see and worship. And true conversion involves wanting to know more about Jesus as revealed in Scripture, not the idolatrous version in our minds. Now, we have an example happening before us this very day that will give us a front row seat to seeing this play out, to see this element. Uh, perhaps you've heard, as I have, as we did some postings earlier this week on our social media, that very recently in Canada, Bill C-4 was passed. Now, inside of B Bill C-4 includes a law that makes it illegal to try and convert someone to heterosexuality. In other words, if you believe in the biblical understanding of sexuality and you say it publicly or even in some cases privately, you can be thrown into jail for up to five years. So the entire gospel that a person is transformed, that sin is not something to legitimize, sin is something to leave, sin is something to turn away from, that sin is something to abandon, preaching, teaching, those things now in Canada... Uh, can put you in prison for up to five years. Now, what we will see before us, because make no mistake, for the people that consider themselves believers in Canada, the easier thing would, to do would be to fold up and capitulate with this. That would be the much easier thing to do because they will create a picture of Jesus in their mind that makes it okay to go along with that kind of thing, along with this C4 club that will be used against and is being used against the church. And it's not just in Canada. John MacArthur has already been uh, censored on YouTube and other platforms for saying and preaching and teaching the biblical, the God understanding of human sexuality. Uh, so we see that these things, it will be a club used against the church, and it will be the easiest thing to do to simply change the Jesus in your mind, to worship that one that goes along with that kind of thing. But the true believers in Canada that have been truly converted, they are not faux leather Christians. They are true and legitimate believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will seek the scriptures and they will seek to know the Jesus in scripture. Uh, they will be reading verses like the Great Commission found in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. They have that influencing their mind's picture of Jesus. They'll be reading verses like Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than man. They'll be influenced by verses like Matthew 10.28, and do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but fear, rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. They'll be understanding verses like that. That will be painting the picture in their mind of the, who the true Jesus is. You think of other verses like Matthew 10, 32, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. That is a picture of the true Jesus in part. And those are the things that true believers in Canada will be giving themselves to. And it does not involve bowing to that ungodly club called Bill C4 that will be used against the church. When you take a pair of shoes that's made out of faux leather, if they're exposed, if that pair of shoes is exposed to too much heat, to too much external pressure, 
uh, they'll shrink and change and mold because it's not real leather. It's made out of predominantly plastic. But a pair of shoes that is made out of genuine leather, they form to the foot that's inside of them. True believers in Canada will be forming to the God that is inside of them, not the other way around. If you're still with me, say amen. So we're preaching today and we're understanding what this legitimate true conversion is like. And so far we've said that God draws a person unto himself. That's a trait of genuine conversion. And that a desire to understand Christ from the perspective of scriptures will be there. Not the other way around of making this version of Christ that condones all the sinful things that we want. Verse 36, and we're moving on. Now as they went down the road, Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. That would have been really exciting if that happened this morning. (laughs) I'm not sure what you all would have thought if I was just, boom, gone. But that would have been very exciting. I'm not sure where the Lord would have taken me, but that would have been kind of cool. He saw him no more, and he went on his way. The eunuch went on his way. Church, listen to the word rejoicing is the way in which the eunuch went away. Verse 40, But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So we have Philip seeing this eunuch, led of the Holy Spirit, instructed by an angel, set up by God, this this Ethiopian eunuch that is wanting to know Christ from the perspective of Scripture. He preaches Christ to them, to him, and obviously at some point along the way, something probably, very likely, of Philip's teaching to this Ethiopian eunuch included something of baptism. Or perhaps the Ethiopian eunuch already knew some scriptural things about baptism because the moment they come across some water in this road that's through the desert, the Ethiopian eunuch says, there's water, can I be baptized? Is there anything that should prohibit me from being baptized? So I hope the thing that is just evidently clear before you this morning in the Word of God is that a trait of genuine conversion, and this is our third and final point this morning, is obedience. This was the thing that the eunuch wanted to do. He wanted to walk in obedience. There was no apprehension in this. He wanted to walk in obedience. Put in the margin of your Bible, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-4, through 4, which says, by, by, Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now be clear, this is not talking about a believer seeking to put certain temptations and sin, the deeds of the flesh, to death, and you fall on those things sometimes. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about someone who knows the truth and refuses to do it and says they know God. The Word of God says that person is indeed a liar. If the person knows what to do and they do not do it and they say they know God, they are indeed a liar. Now imagine if the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went a little bit differently. Let's say that this Ethiopian eunuch, whether it was a knowledge that he had previously or what Philip had just got done telling him regarding baptism, and they come across this water in the desert. And he says, and perhaps Philip, this is not the way the story goes, thankfully, but perhaps Philip says to the eunuch, he says, you see that water? Uh, If 
If you believe in Jesus with all your heart, let's go down into this water and I'll baptize you. And if the Ethiopian eunuch said, no, not gonna, it would be proof that his conversion was not a real one. It would be proof that he was a faux leather Christian because he was not seeking to obey. He knew what the command was and to bold face not do it is to be a not a child of God. We see this in the word of God. So we have been looking closely in the same way that someone who knows well what real leather is like, they'll hold it in their hands and they'll smell it and experience it to know whether or not it's the real deal or not. We've been doing the same thing with genuine conversion. And we've seen some of these traits. We've seen the trait that God draws a person unto himself. We've seen the trait that there's a desire to understand Christ from the biblical perspective. And we've seen that the natural result of a true and converted life like we saw this morning is indeed walking in obedience. Uh, Dear friends, if you are seeking someone to watch or disciple your children, this is vitally important. Single people, if you are seeking someone to date that may end up being your forever spouse, this is vitally important. That you listen to their testimony and that you listen for these pieces. That you see some obedience in their life. And dear friends, this is vitally important. As each and every single one of us, pastor included, look in the mirror to ask ourselves, am I a faux leather Christian? Or was my conversion genuine? Did it include the call of God? Did it include me wanting to know Jesus from the perspective of Scripture and not to formulate this own God in my mind that just suited my desires? Did it include some obedience? These are the things that we see that are traits of genuine conversion. And I hope that for all those things, you can look in the mirror and say, yes, indeed. Now, here's the thing that I'd like to leave us with. If you take a baby that's hungry, and you put a pacifier in their mouth, what will it do? It'll pacify them. But if you take a hungry baby and you put a bottle that has milk in in its mouth and that baby begins to drink, the baby will become satisfied. Dear friends, there there are many people, and there I would even say many people sitting in the room today that have been pacified by Christianity but you have not been satisfied. The Ethiopian eunuch had been pacified in Jerusalem. He had been pacified by Judaism, being this proselyte of being an Ethiopian man now converted into this Judaism. He had been pacified. But when he met Philip, when he saw the word of God, when he walked in obedience, the Bible says he went away rejoicing. He went away satisfied. I wonder if you've ever been satisfied in Christ. Because if you've not been satisfied, dear friend, I love you enough to tell you that is very good means, very good reason for which to question whether or not you have ever actually come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and bow your knee before him to give him your sin and say, Jesus, it is not by any merit of my own. I cannot work my way to God. It must be all of your righteousness that covers me. Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner and I love what it is that you've done on the cross to pay the price for me, to die on the cross that I deserved. And if you believe that with all your heart, dear friend, the promise of God's word is that he'll save you. And I believe upon the authority of God's word that you'll go away rejoicing. You'll go away not pacified, but satisfied. Would you stand with me as we prepare to pray and worship?
as we bow our heads to pray together. And as we enter into this moment of just prayer and worship, I'm going to encourage you and invite you to look into the mirror of your heart as you have surveyed in the Word of God this morning the difference between faux Christianity and true, legitimate, genuine conversion. Uh, New Covenant Community Church and all of those joining us online, uh, we don't do ourselves any favors by not looking in that mirror. Look at it. Consider your salvation. Is it right? Have you been trusting in your own works? Have you found your works to be worthless or do you still trust that you're a good person? That you don't lie too much or that you go to church a certain amount of time? Have you trusted in those things? Dear friend, you'll be pacified, not satisfied. I'm inviting you to be satisfied in the person of Christ. I'm inviting you, dear friend, this morning, listen to me. I'm inviting you to leave this place rejoicing like that Ethiopian man who had been pacified but saw the Christ of Scripture, repented of sin and walked in obedience and went away joyful. Father in heaven, I pray for any soul right now under the sound of my voice that you would give us the courage to look into that mirror to see whether or not we have experienced a true, legitimate conversion to work out this faith with fear and trembling, to to test the spirits to see whether they're of God, or have we been deceived? Have we been deceived in our conversion? Father, let us come to the place where we wholeheartedly and steadfastly trust in you and you alone for our salvation, the free gift that you bought with your blood that we have faith in, the perfect righteousness that you achieved that we are clothed in before the presence of Almighty God. Father, the works of Ben Sweeterman are nothing. But what your son did changes everything. We pray in Jesus' name. And all the church says, we are always here to talk with you. The last thing that I would ever want to do as a pastor is convince someone who is saved that they're not or someone that isn't saved that they are. But if you have genuine questions about whether or not your conversion is indeed genuine, please come talk to us. Let's open up the Word of God and let's make sure that your relationship is right. Nothing, nothing, nothing is more important. Let's sing and worship together.